Today we're starting in the 46th chapter of Isaiah, talking about the vanity of idols, the vanity of idols. And it reads, uh, Baal bow it down, Nebo stupid, their idols were upon the beast and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loading. They are burdened to the weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb. And even to your old age, I am he, and even to your Poor hairs will I carry you. I have made and I will bear you. Even I will carry and will deliver you. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that you that we may be alike? They lavish gold out of the bag and with silver in the balance and hire goldsmith and he maketh it a god. They fall down, yea, they worship. They bear him up on the shoulder. They carry him and set him in his place and he standeth from his place, and he shall not be moved. Yea, once you cry to him, yet he cannot answer nor save him out of his trouble. Here we're talking about the gods of Babylon. It says Baal and Nebo. Baal and Nebo. Nebo. The two gods mentioned by name, both of these idols will be destroyed. Uh, when we talk about the destruction of Babylon, Babylon has fallen, it's fallen in the book of Revelation. It includes all of those who worship or go along with the idolatry that's done in the Babylonian system. And the world would be Babylon, this satanic system would be Babylon. Both of these gods would be destroyed, plus those that worship along with it. They carry. They would carry their gods. These were very expensive idols that were made of gold and everything. And usually, when invading army or something, would they would get in a fight with them or whatever? They would load these heavy gods upon wagons and different things, and that's what he said: loaded down and heavy laden. And they would have to carry the god somewhere to where it was safe for the guard, they gods to be at. But he he said he carries us. He carries us from the womb, and he carries us throughout all old age. And he's a God that keepeth us and preserveth us, and showeth us the vanity of serving such idols. The people are about to go into captivity in Babylon within about seventy-five to a hundred some years. Isaiah was prophesying, but their captivity had came about. Because of idol worship and sin and rebellion against God. And we know uh, idol worship leads to captivity and bondage. And a lot of people in bondage to their idols. Bel also was known as Marduk. Marduk. And was considered the supreme ruler in the realm of the gods. That's why earlier I was going over the sovereign God. And I said he was supreme. He was over there is no God beside them. And there were some that looked at Baal. And Baal is a derivative of that name, uh, Baal, B-A-A-L. 
The second god, Nebo, was the god of writing and interpretation and was in charge of the kings and princes. And we tell you about an apocryphal writing of Baal and the dragon and things that happened during Daniel's time. You can read of that in the Catholic Apocrypha. In the book of Isaiah, the 46th chapter, Baal and Nebo were two of the most prominent Babylonian deities. So there were other gods. They were polytheistic and they worshipped the many gods. But that name Baal, I said, is derived from Baal, B-A-A-L. Baal worship goes all the way back to the Phoenicians. To You remember Elijah was rising up against the god of the of of Baal, I mean the prophets of Baal, they had a showdown, and we'll talk about uh, Baal worship, and it was way back during the time with Jeroboam. But uh, Nebo uh, Noba was viewed as the son of Baal, that is Marduk. His name is found in the name of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Back that that goes way back. The idea in this passage is that the Babylonian deities will one day fall before the Lord. That is, in the confession of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 of Daniel when he wrote. Remember I told you he wrote the fourth chapter of Daniel when God had sent him out in the fields for that seven years time. And when he came to his senses that he said the Lord God was the God of all, and he worshiped and extolled the God of heaven, and he made that proclamation about God. Baal and Nebo, those two prominent gods in Babylon, is another uh, thing for the Phoenician god of Babylon. And you remember Jezebel was a Phoenician. She was a priestess. Her father was a priest from Tyre and Sidon, and Baal, you'll see that name Baal goes all the way into the New Testament. It's in the book of Revelation, it has to do with sexual immorality and the things that we eat and in all types of idolatry because when there's no stopping when we get into idolatry, at least all type of sins. And I was telling you about the word venial sins yesterday mm-hmm. and that the Catholics talk about venial sins. And the word venial means of a kind that can be remitted of. In other words, a forgivable or pardonable sin. A forgivable or pardonable sin. That's what venial sins are. And that's why I say if we develop in the image and likeness of Christ, we'll be forgiving and we would forgive others their trespasses against us no matter what they've committed unto us. Because... There is a sin unto death, which is a mortal sin. There is sin that is unto death. We read that in the Bible about some sins that's unto death, which was called mortal sins. Venial sin is essentially different from mortal sins. It does not avert us from our true last end. It does not destroy charity or love, the principle of union with God nor deprive the soul of sanctifying grace, and it is intrinsically reparable. In other words, these are sins, you know, like people say, I told a little white lie, or you did some things that you can turn from. We can 
sometime if you confess your faults and you confess certain things. Remember Zacchaeus, when he was making reparation, and I told you, that's a part of repentance is making reparations and he restore fourfold and we read that in the old testament about making reparations for transgressions in some ways it is also called venial precisely because considered in its own nature it is pardonable in itself merited not eternal but temporal punishment so you're not banished away from God. You remember in the book of Romans where he says, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, and God turned them over to a reprobate mind. These were people that were committing hideous, hideous acts and had been turned over to homosexuality and the men working that with men and women with women and certain sexual sins or certain immorality which the end of themselves are abominable practices to God. But we notice that adultery itself must fail in that category of a venial sin because the woman that was caught in adultery, Jesus says that, that she was forgiven. In other words, that, her, that, that transgression was forgiven, he says, but go and sin no more. So I think the sin that she would have been committing then was sin in the face of knowledge or in the face of knowing. Because the willful knowledge of sin, we notice that for presumptuous sin, to be done presumptuous, God doesn't have atonement for presumptuous sin. The willful knowledge, and that's why it says, if we willfully turn away from Christ, and sin, that there remains no more sacrifice for sin because other than the atonement, the blood of Jesus Christ, there's nothing else that could save you from the burning fires of hell. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. So without him, there is no other Savior. It is distinguished from mortal sin on the part of the disorder. By mortal sin, man is entirely averted from God. His true last end, that's the end of man, is to worship and to glorify God. But blasphemy, which he says, blasphemy of the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven you. In other words, when we fight against the truth, and there are those that are fighting against the truth, fighting against light, that becomes mortal sin in a way because to deny the truth, where that does that leave you? That leaves you outside or in the vanity of serving idols of idolatry. So spiritual adultery, which was happening with Jezebel, which was happening in the book of Revelation, that crosses over from being a venial sin until eternal damnation. That's why it says he was going to cast him in a bed of death. Because now the sin is spiritual adultery, and we see a lot of that came along with Jeroboam. Remember when he introduced golden calf worship? When he introduced golden calf worship. By, uh, 
by mortal sin, man is entirely averted from God, his true last end, and at least implicitly he places his last end in some created thing. And, and Romans says they turn from worshiping the creator to worshiping the creation. People worship in pantheism, they worship the creation and mother nature and you know, men worship other men or other beings you've put you worship or you worship in something other other than God, and that would be the end, and there's no redemption from that. Uh, as we continue on here, uh, I'm getting, I don't want to get these pages crossed up here. But by venial sin, he is not averted from God, neither does he place his last end in creatures or in the creation, so there is a chance for those that's committing venial sin. He remains united with God by charity, but does not tend toward him as he ought to. The true nature of sin as it, it's contrary to the eternal law, repugnant namely to primary end of law, is found only in mortal sin. Venial sin is only in an imperfect way contrary to the law, since it is not contrary to the primary end of the law. You remember we know the end of the law which is because through the law, it's weak through the flesh. We can serve God. So that's why I say people, uh, I was talking with my wife about the Jehovah Witnesses and say, I say, what are they placing their salvation in? Even though they talk about Jehovah in God, there's no salvation in that if you say that in the end, that's where the Jews that were cut off, and Paul said that his kindred were provoked, they were cut off you still looking for something other than Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. You will have to end up accepting Jesus. The Scriptures tells us there's a name. He has given him a name above every name. So that name would be above Jehovah. If the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. So those that's looking at uh, Mahushna, Nehushna, Mithra, uh, uh what it is, Buddha, uh, Muhammad, or any other thing, there's no salvation there. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. He has eternal life. He's the only one that's able to give eternal life. Uh, that's, you can find, I, those quotes that I'm writing on venial sin came from St. Thomas, one, volumes 1 through 2, 88, chapter 1, and Kajanta, I guess that's the way to pronounce it. First through two, volume 88 is written in Roman numerals, so I had to go back to learn my Roman numerals here. Uh, Now, these gods that he mentioned here in chapter 46 were to be destroyed, uh, and he that all idols will be destroyed and those that worship idols. That's why it calls us out of Babylon unless we partake of her plagues. Now, partaking of her plagues could be venial sin also because, as I was talking about Ananias and Sapphira, there are consequences. Remember I said there's temporal punishment for venial sins. Now, I'm not saying that we're talking about purgatory or anything like that in a lot of the Catholic teaching. But you have to pay for your sin. It says every transgression and sin received is just recompense of reward. And God does gorgeous those children he receives. So you will be 
taken care of by God now. So just like David, the sword never left David's house, even though David was saved. David received salvation. Uh, And as we study later on in this 46th chapter, verses 5 through 8, the human origin and utter impotence of idols rendered them unfit for comparison with the God of Israel because he says, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? And I was teaching that when we was talking about a sovereign God that, well, I couldn't think of anything to compare God to because he's absolute. He's in a class by himself. We can't quantify God. We can't compare or put him in anything. We can't liken him to anything. That's why you don't make graven images or images of God because that's erroneous to think that we could conceive of God. Uh, in verse 8, the prophet calls on the readers to recall the impotence of the idols they worship and the transgressions of God's laws. And Elijah was making fun of Adam about saying, it's call on Baal. Maybe Baal is using the restroom. He may be on a journey. And they cried out to Baal. God, Dagon, you remember Dagon, the god of the Philistines, that on the threshold, that's why they stepped not on the threshold, but you remember Dagon, they kept coming in there, and Dagon had fallen before the Ark of the Covenant of God in the last time his arms and thing was broken all off of him. In Isaiah 46 and 11, it says, Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that execute my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it, I also will do it. That man from a far country was Cyrus. Cyrus was this man that was summoned to conquer Babylon and return Israel to from captivity after that 70 years of captivity of the 44th chapter and the 28th verse, the 45th chapter, the first verse of Isaiah. Uh, Cyrus' swiftness was called a bird of prey because of his swiftness and, and a ravenous for his fierceness and his victories over his enemy because until that time, nothing could stand before Cyrus. Um, and there's some other notes here on Cyrus in that. And we're to be a type of Christ as Cyrus was a type of Christ and we're to help in this defeat. And that's one of the things I talk about about the Jehovah Witnesses and everything. You you know, the old saying a lot of people say to be spiritually, so spiritually mind that you are no earthly good. Mm -hmm. It's okay talking and preaching about the kingdom of God. But what are you doing down here to fulfill that thy kingdom come? Are you in this battle fighting? Have you been making preparations they have the five wise and the five foolish both of them were married to to get married to the groom but whereas we see the five wise are still filling their lamp trimming their lamp they're working for this and a faith without works is a dead faith so uh, you keep looking for the kingdom of heaven, but what are you doing in preparations? Because Jesus Christ says the kingdom is among you. The kingdom is within you. So are you walking by faith a help establishing the laws of God? Are you 
doing a work now. So you should be preaching the gospel. You should be living a life. I, I taught last week living by faith with trusting in God's sovereignty. We know God is sovereign and that there is nothing, no God but one. But we have to see that God in the fullness of the Godhead, which is Jesus Christ. Looking back to Jehovah is looking back at a shallow shadow. You're not realizing the reality. You have the reality here. It's like someone that's bowing to images of prostitution or to pornography or whatever. You're looking at a woman on film, a woman or a man on film, but you have a wife or you actually have a woman here. So which do you choose? The real is something that's not real. So idols are not real. They don't satisfy. So a lot of people, football, or eating, entertainment, what do you desire? God, this is your necessary food. The scriptures are your necessary food. So do you spend time in the scriptures? Or do you spend time eating and watching cooking shows and looking at food and everything? Because that becomes idolatry and an excessive overuse of it is gluttony. Is gluttony. Being materialistic, it points to the Laodicean church. Well, they thought they have no need of anything, and Jesus was outside knocking on the door to be let in. The Laodiceans wasn't lazy. They would work. They did believe in work, and they had all of the material comfort, but they were poor, wretched, and naked because they were spiritually blind. They had a need to have their eyes anointed, and they didn't have clothing on. They hadn't put on Christ. So I would look at this like the Jehovah Witness, the Catholics, or the Pentecostals, a lot of these people of the prosperity, the word of faith churches that are not repenting and turning from their sins, that are not putting on Christ. They think that they have no need of anything, that they, their religious influence has fooled them. They're dealing with gold and calf worship as Jeroboam had. They had made religion easy. They had made it, all you have to do is say, I accept Christ. They wasn't preaching repentance. They wasn't working for their salvation. They were, let me rephrase that. They were working for their salvation. They wasn't working through faith to please Jesus Christ. We have to work, that's our delight is pleasing God. What can we do in pleasing God? How do we please God? That's a, to please him. That's our delight. First Kings, the 12th chapter, 26 through the 30th verse. Let's read portions of it here. Baal worship. Jeroboam doubted God's promise to him and said in his heart, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David if these people go up to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem to offer sacrifices. Then their hearts will turn to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So Jerusalem was the place of worship, the central place of worship. So he said instead of them, and God had given him promises when he called him back and gave him them ten, those ten tribes when he took them away from Solomon and gave them to Jeroboam. 
See, God gives us stuff. God has given a lot of people churches and given a lot of people things not realizing he had given you the real thing, but you trading that for the grass on the other side is just as brown as the grass to where you are if you're not polishing the grass, if you're not working the fields. Yes. So you, you're wanting larger churches. You're wanting more. So he mistrusts God's word. He didn't trust God's word Read, go back in Kings and read the promises he made to Jeroboam, just like he made promises to Gideon, yes. like he made promises to Abraham. Of all those, it was Abraham who believed God, and God counted it to him for righteousness. And that's what he's looking for us to have trust and believe God and have faith in Jesus Christ mm-hmm. by faith. Yeah. And see, that's where the the other religions that are not talking about faith. It's all right to believe God, but it says even the devils believe and tremble. But they have to have faith in Jesus Christ because now he's come and he's the object of our faith. It all lies in Jesus. So if that's where your your hope's not in him, even though you believe in all the different names of Jehovah, you have to believe in the Son. If you don't have the Son, you'll be lost. So a mistrust of God, a doubting God. And if you do have doubt of God, you have to be like the man says, I believe, but help my unbelief. That there's a sanctifying effect to God's work that our faith would increase, our wisdom and knowledge of God would increase. We see here also, he says, that these people will kill me. Well, we know what happened to, happened to reigning a false to kings during those days, the reason they would kill off the brothers in any, any competition. Yeah. The same things could happen to the apostate churches in the gods. He said they will be destroyed. The false gods will be destroyed. Only the real is what exists. You remember I told you the only thing that exists is what's spiritual, what's in Christ. All of the corruptible and all these other things won't exist. So he says that they will kill me and go back, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They would go back and uh, worship Rehoboam with Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, you remember, Rehoboam didn't cut it. Rehoboam didn't believe and trust God either. But he was afraid of this. And that's one thing that lacks in children of God because children of God, he hadn't given us a spirit of fear. So he feared death, and he says, fear not him that should kill the body. So we don't have any fears. Let's continue reading. It says, so the king took counsel and followed bad advice and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, "Uh, it is too much for you to go all the way up to Jerusalem. Behold, your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Through bad counsel, he followed the counsel and advice and made two golden calves. He said one in Dan and one in uh, uh, in, in Dan and one in Bethel. And he says it's too much for you to go up and worship. He said, oh, Israel, these be the gods that brought you out. He listened at bad counsel. 
And the book of Psalms says, He that sitteth not in the counsel of the wicked of those that give out bad. We have to watch who we receive counsel from. If something's wrong with us or something's going on, there's wisdom in a multitude of counsels. But you must know those who labor among you and know those who are giving you counsel, who are giving you advice. So he received bad counsel, and they gave him the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of this world. We see where the wisdom of the world enters in. He thought that if he would make worship easy, you know, make it comfortable Sunday or comfortable Friday and just come as you are. You don't have to go through all this. And a lot of things, they say the holiness church is a holiness it's too hard to serve God the way y'all talking about in this holiness. You you know, and they start worshiping God as they see fit. They start relaxing the doctrines. They start relaxing religion. They start relaxing the qualifications of religion. The doctrine is not taken. They're heaping to themselves teachers that pleases them, that comforts the flesh. That's not teaching repentance. They're not listening to the older people. They're not listening to the mothers of the church and the, their parents. They're not listening to their older people. This is a new generation that's come up. That's just like what Rehoboam did. He took bad counseling from people, the people that was his age. And he worship. we can worship God in the wrong way. And God says the true worshipers of God are those that worship him in spirit and truth. So there is a true worship of God. He set the one golden calf in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin for Israel because the people went to worship before the one or the other of them as far as Dan. And Jeroboam also made houses on high places and he made priests from all people who are not of the sons of the descent of, of Levi. So now he's making the common man or anybody preachers. They got seminaries now where anybody can pay and go and receive his preacher's license. They, they, you can make anybody, and it doesn't have to fit the qualifications of the Bible as long as they can do these they, and they get their own charter where they can license their own ministers and things. So that's the beginning of false worship with Jeroboam. We see in the days of old that they had false worship. King didn't bring an offering according to the way he should have. It was his attitude, and that's what we have. A lot of people's attitudes and dispositions. A lot of people say it was what Cain offered. Well, I don't see in where the Bible says what Cain offered. I think what God focused upon, he says, why is that continence wrought? In other words, it's attitude, the way of worship. He says in the book of Matthew, if thou have aught against your brethren, before you bring your offering, you go get right with your brother. So I think repentance, and, and I tell my children, don't fight one another. When your brothers sin or your brothers do something against you, forgive them. We all make mistakes. Be forgiven. Let that sin be remitted. And you remember I told you of venial sins? Oh, yes. We all do this, so we shouldn't fall completely out 
with one another. We should be forgiven. It says, who sins you remit shall be remitted back to them. So if you pray and talk to God about these things, but what Cain did, he rose up and killed Abel. He slew Abel. We can't take our brothers out of our lives. We, we can't hate our brothers and love God. So it says, if thou doest well, will not thine sacrifice be accepted? It says, sin's desires unto you, but you shall bear rule over it. The same as he told Adam, he says, that that the woman's, that he shall bear rule over you. Her desire shall be unto her husband. So we see the controlling, most women try to control their husbands are in control. That's where the competition comes in. Mm-hmm. That where the adversarial role comes in. So it's not lining up with scripture. So we see their false teaching coming in when he set up the high places you could worship anywhere. So we have houses of worship anywhere but God had sent a central worship place, a central place where you bring your tithes and offerings. He says now forsake not the assembling together of yourselves. So there was submission to authority and everything. All of these things are here, but when you start going against authority of submission, when you go against these things, watch out, idolatry is on the horizon. We're placing self on the throne. That's what happened with Satan. He placed self on the throne. And to be self-centered, self-pleasure, everything centers in self, that's narcissistic behavior, and that's not what God... God looks at team players, the love for one another. Let's continue reading here. Jeroboam held a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast which is kept in Judah. And he went up to the altar, and he, and he went up to the altar. He did this in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves which he had made. And he stationed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made. So he went up, all of this says which he had made. Not which God had made or God had instituted for him to make. This was a religion of his own making. And throughout the scriptures, for a long time, we always hear when he talks about sin and Ahab or anybody else, he says they did as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, did. Because this is where all this originated, just like with Nimrod, Babel originated with Nimrod. Okay. So he went up to the altar which he had made in Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month in the month which he had devised because this is a day different from the day God had devised. So we don't know if it's like they've changed the day of worship and the Sabbath day. In other words, the Roman Catholic Church said they had the power and authority by the priest of the Pope, the Pope being the vicar of Christ, that the worship was changed from Saturday to Sunday. The Sabbath was changed from Saturday to Sunday. This we see where Jeroboam devised this instead of the 14th day. He changed it to the 15th day of the eighth month in the month which he had devised in his own heart in defiance of God's commandments. And he held a feast for the Israelites and he went up to the altar to burn incense in defiance of God's law. Because only the priest was supposed to burn incense to God. 
we know that's why Uzziah, Azariah, you remember, he turned leprous because he burned incense. And the priest says, it's not given to you to burn incense to the Lord. He was out of place, and that's what's happening nowadays. People are not in their proper places. They are not making sure of their calling or the vocation they should be in. So we have false holy days, false feast. It's like the, we institute Christmas. We don't see that in the Bible. We institute Easter. We institute all of this to make religion more comfortable, more easier, and more pleasant. Whereas we can see, probably Thanksgiving would be the same as the Feast of Harvest. Mm. Mm. Pig, put a pig there now. Yes. False doctrine in an end and wrong sacrifice in self-pleasure came to rise. The religion of Israel began with a man that was Jeroboam one who changed the true worship of God. He established a feast in the eighth month to replace the true feast of God of tabernacles in the seventh month. He may have replaced the Sabbath with Sunday worship. He replaced the Levitical priesthood with the men of his own choosing, not from people of the tribe of Levi. Last, he replaced God with golden calves and Bethel and Dan. A, a religion with such a beginning was doomed to fall, bringing down the nation with it. When religion is ungodly, its power is destructive, and every institution in the nation suffers. For instance, Amos 2.7 describes a deliberate act of ritual prostitution in a pagan temple. A man and his father go into the same girl to defy my holy place of my holy name. What was the rationale behind this perverse or immoral act? Well, they had picked up on Baal worship, and God told them, if you do as the people before you had done, I'll cast you out because you caused the land to sin against itself. Mm. We see where Jezebel, who was a priestess herself, and we see this in the book of Revelation where it says, you allow that woman Jezebel who called herself a prophetess. So that spirit, you remember I tell you the spirit of the age and its spirits and seducing spirits. He says, who seduced my servants, caused them to commit sexual immorality and eat things that's given unto idols or eat things, the wrong things. And preachers feed their flock things that's not proper food. It is necessary that we feed the flock of God's word. But goats eat anything. So there are people that are amen and will follow anything. You could raise up any type of worship and somebody's going to follow you. Or you could say anything. But Jesus told Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. But it was the necessary food, the word of God. And we see where the apostles focused on doctrine and in the word of God. Now, because Baal was neither alive nor a moral force, his worshipers felt that they could communicate with him only by ritual actions that portrayed what they were asking him to do. In other words, let us act this out. You know how some things act certain things out, but a lot of, a lot of this was picked up because God's prophets 
acted things out. You remember Ezekiel and some of them acted out captivity and different things that God was going to do to with the people or whatever. Well, a lot of religions and things pick up from one another. And so what they were asking Baal for was for children. It was an agrarian economy then. So they wanted to have lots of children. They wanted to be fertile. Baal was a fertility god. So to act this out, they tended toward temple prostitutes and harlots. Mm. So the act of sexual union, fertility rights, that this would bring about children, a reproduction of children. And they acted this out with the priest and with the other people. And that's why you have to this day. A lot of people talked about the Catholic churches doing the times why did they develop orphanages and things and they were saying because the priests who were supposedly supposed to be celibate mm-hmm. they a lot of the parishioners children were the priest children and we have this today of many of preachers have fathered of many of children because of silly women laden with sin and your sexual or your human nature stays there that has to be conquered, but those acts of the, the promiscuity of the sexual act still lies dormant within you and can be woken at any time. And that's why we have to guard and be watchful. Since Baal was like almost all ancient deities, a fertility god, the human act of intercourse demonstrated that they wanted Baal to prosper them. But what was real in effect of the participants and the nations? So a lot of money coming churches or prosperity preachers say, "Well, look, if you put in this amount, if you tithe, God's gonna bless you." So they preach and talk about always giving because to get wealthy, you have to seed, have seed money. You have to put in. You have to do these things. That makes them lay of the sin. They 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 don't mind working. They don't mind giving to the church or whatever. And they are prosperous. And a lot of them don't have needed. They have jets. They have all kinds of wealth. They have nice homes, cars, and everything. They have all the material comfort. But God says that, though, you're blind, wretched, and naked because you like spirit. In other words, instead of the church is teaching about suffering and all of these things, I had a Someone texting back and forth about suffering in the kingdom of God. If we're preaching the New Testament, if we're preaching the apostle doctrine, we know suffering is part of it. We have to suffer as Christ suffered in the kingdom of God. That's all part of the part lot of this thing. Yes. So we're not trying to get around suffering, and we know we shall suffer. Yes. We know that money cometh in all of these prosperity gimmicks and everything, but still, you have to repent. We know God will prosper you, and he'll give you finances. He'll bless you in all this. But we shouldn't make it so that the participants forget about their family, forget about raising a godly family. Are the women's focus on one day being women that guide the household, that's raising up their children, rearing their children, the teaching them to play with their brothers and sisters, and providing home nice meals and things for them and guiding the home. Because if you want to be a Proverbs 31 woman, you have to first take care of a home. Yes, sir. 
Her second job was outside the home. But you can't leave your home a mess in, in all kinds of shambles. See, the preacher has to know those that labor among him, but he also has to know his sheep. So that's where a lot of his preaching and teachers have to focus upon what the members need. That's why he says, feed my sheep. So what do they need? What do they, because you can't get this if you don't even know, your preacher don't even know you. With the mega churches and telechurches and all of these things, that preacher don't know you from Adam. But Jesus says, I know my sheep and I know them by name. The problem is with Baal worship and idolatry and the vanity in serving these idols and how far idols remove you from reality. So I tell everyone, as an older person, my advice to my children to all young people I meet wherever I go and everything, look, you stay at home with your children as much as possible. You try to father them and mentor them. You try to mother them and do all these things because they grow up so fast. Mm. Yep. You're going to miss that time with them. you wish you had that time with them. Mm. Concentrate on the home. I, I think of this mother that was supplying everything for her daughter and at 14 years old, she had debit cards. And that's what they show on TV nowadays. Show your children about money and debit cards. But with all of this, this girl used the money to hire a young boy to kill her, his, her mother. Maybe her focus should have been on not working so much and taking her to church and teaching her the basics of life. Uh, but what is real... But what was its real effect on the participants in the nature? Ritual prostitution only served to erode the family and eventually leading to the destruction of the nation. So that's what happened with the nation. We have more young children and juveniles have killed in this city alone in the last year than any adults. Yes. The family is drastically broken. Mm. There's no fathers in the home. One of the we- the wealthiest men in this nation is Elon Musk. But do you know that he has, I don't know, maybe 10, 11 children? And he's not married to a lot of these ones. By being the wealthiest man, your proclivity in being fruitful and multiplying, still, there's no father in the home. Another example is what the Georgia public, the Georgia, how the nation suffers. How can the Georgians vote for this Herschel Walker guy? He's promoted that he's against adultery, I mean against abortion, but he's paid for abortions and he have children out of wedlock that are not, that he's not fathers to, that he don't know a lot of those children and one of them he wanted to abort, and he's nowhere in that home. But this is what the people of Georgia, so-called conservative Bible Belt state, is voting for for their senator. This is representative of what the nation was. This is representative of what our last president was. Just like he didn't take care of his children, one of his oldest sons, the wife, divorced him. She had five kids for him. She divorced him, and his father was the president of the United States 
Why would this come about? Because there's no examples in the homes. Why did God choose Abraham? One of the reasons he chose Abraham says, I know that you'll teach your children to do right and to teach them my laws. That you'll proclaim my statutes and judgments to them. That's why Solomon says to train up a child in the way that he should go. Now, you're not responsible if they don't go those ways. We're all said and done. I think Job taught his children in the right ways and was a good example unto them. But for some reason or another, God saw fit to destroy all his sons and daughters. Because Job each morning, he rose up and he offered up sacrifices according to the number of each one of them, saying, perhaps my children have sinned. But we have to see all of that is Job learning to live and walk by faith and trusting in a sovereign God because it says, God give it and God take it away. Now, Baal was different from his adherents merely in that he was above them. Whereas God's different from us is that he is holy. He is moral and we are immoral, right? So Baal was just above them, but he wasn't moral or different, uh, immoral or different in any of those ways because he was nothing. He was just what they assumed or had a concept of, whereas God says he is holy and he is moral. After we accept his calling, he commands us to become moral as he is. He says, be ye holy for I am holy. Now you have to be what I am, the way I am, who I am. Now, Elijah is instructive in this, so we want to focus on Elijah because of his battle, or his fight with Baal. Mm-hmm. And that's what I tell the, about the Jehovah Witnesses, the uh, Catholics, and all of the people that kind of their religion is not promoted, that we're in a battle. Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, but we know that these are also individuals within this thing. Yes. So they are tempted. They're trying to kill Paul. Why all of the preachers and prophets that the people tried to kill through the ages and they hung Jesus Christ on the cross? But here nowadays, the prophets and preachers that are preaching the word, the world loves them and they have mega churches. Everybody's flocking to these churches. Isn't there something contradictory to that? He began to prophesy in a time of immediate crisis, one that would become far worse before it ever improved. So that's like us. We are now preaching and going into all the nation, teaching the word because we know through Habakkuk that he says, the just shall live by faith, but it was going to get worse. Oh, yes. We think it's bad now. This thing's going to get, because this is a wicked nation we live in where the Supreme Court allows such thing as about arming America and bearing arms. It's a wild, wild west. The people the other day at the Tiger truck stop, I'm wondering why they're running through this door. It's because two men at the gas pump outside or whatever get into a gunfight. 
Nowadays, since you like Florida stand your ground laws and all this, and you have open carry laws, and we are in a wild, wild west. Everybody has guns in their cars and everywhere else, and they, you see people walking the streets with long guns and everything. You're able to tell them up. You get in an argument, you're hot-tempered and everything. Well, let me pull my gun before you pull his gun. And it's just not, we're living in a wild, wild west, and it only gets worse because those are the type politicians that are being voted for. That's why our nation sir, suffers. And it's all because of idolatry, because everybody's doing what is right in their own sight, establishing their own laws. That's what happens when you go against authority. And the ultimate authority is that of God. That was tremendous evil to overcome. Elijah's ministries took place about 150 years before Israel was to fall, becoming the lost ten tribes, so God was beginning to make a powerful witness to them. Elijah's work was to reveal the true God to Israel in a time of growing national crisis. And that's what we should be doing. We should be the Elijah. He says, Behold, before that great day I shall send Elijah. We should go before the, in the spirit of Elijah, trying to turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers and the heart of the fathers to the children. That's the ministries we should be in. We shouldn't be with the spiritual proclivity of thinking about prosperity and wealth and about the kingdom of God because we pray that that kingdom God comes. What we're saying is we're down here on the ground saying, Look, you shouldn't talk to your parents like that. You shouldn't treat your children this way. We should be the living examples of this. We should be watching. You know, it's a many of people that are working in the young people. How many older people had to cook and cook for their children and the children don't even know how to cook for themselves nowadays? Well, you can't cook. No wonder you can't keep a husband. You know, I enjoyed going to my daughter's house for Thanksgiving. And I said, I didn't get old. And I tell my wife, I said, honey, you shouldn't be trying to wrestle with those big pots and everything, cooking for everybody. And our children are so scattered out. So I went to my daughter's house. And what I had to do is guard against eating. Because I went to my daughter's house and she had done a turkey, but she cooked them with Cornish hens. Everybody had a hen, a Cornish hen or whatever. But I had to say, look, cut, let cut a hen in half, and I'm going to eat half of the half, and my wife eat the other half, and we'll be able to live off the rest of it. The leftovers this week will freeze and live off because I can only eat a little bit of, of, of this stuff that you didn't cook because my son, he's texting me, he says the food and everything is ready to come by. So do I stay there and eat with my daughter and, and sit there and watch football? And it's foolish to me to get tied up in all that. It's a pleasure if you want to watch. I'm not saying it's wrong to watch football and do all those things. But I don't consider it an idol or something to take it up my time. I think my time is better well spent going to my son's house. He's invited to me and me and my wife go to his house, sit down with him and his family, and eat with them. 
Instead of like Esau and Jacob, where the father says, you cook up my venison, and one is Esau cooking up the venison, and Rachel is here showing Jacob how to cook the lentils and beans, and now you have a, a, a thing going with Esau and Jacob. And I'm saying... These same sons and daughters eat with one another. They have sibling days and sibling times. And yeah, I'm going to spend my time. If a third one would have ordered me to do it or said that we could do it, I'd say, honey, well, we have to start early this morning because we got three houses to go to. So we go to both houses and eat with both of them because as they were coming up, as they were coming up, we, we would leave Mayfair, leave our house, just like the people do at at what it is Saint Joseph Saint Vincent, and they cook starting at eleven o'clock and serve all those people. Yeah. Well, as my wife cooked when she was young and prepared our dinners, the first thing we would do is I said, "Honey, a plate for for mother, a plate for pop." My parents were separated. You remember I told you my stepfather and mother raised me. We would take a plate to my father. We would take a plate to my mother. We would take a plate to my aunt. We would stop at her mother's house. But they seen us practicing this, going, that's what that is. Yes, yes. So we eat, we visit, we come back. I'm, I'm laying there, one thing giving me and Andre laid up there and went to sleep. Both of us, the game was watching us instead of us watching the game. <laughs> But we have to be active. We have to be examples of these things. So as we, uh, Elijah is the one I want to teach on here because Elijah fought against Baal's false prophets. The 450 prophets of the grove of Jezebel's prophets of Baal. We have to fight against Jezebel's prophets in this last and evil time. So I don't have time to go any further than that, but Elijah prepared the way for Elisha, who had a double portion of Elijah's spirit and did many more miracles. In this regard, Elijah was a type of John the Baptist and Elisha was a type of Christ. Whereas in this regard, we are a type of Cyrus. And Sennacherim is a a type of, of something else that we fight against Babylon, the type we fight against is that Babylon has fallen. We're coming out of this nation and this national system, sitting forth looking for the kingdom of God. That kingdom is among us, and we're laboring within that kingdom because we're preparing for that. We're ruling and reigning for the office we'll hold in the kingdom. God's pattern is being established. Thy will is being done. We're not looking forward. We know that this has already started. The church is the basis. The church is is his body. And we're constituted the body of Christ, his authorized representative here on earth. He sends someone long before the real crisis reaches peaks while it is building to this crescendo. Well, we see it and we've been prophesied how the ends go in and we know how these things. Elijah says disturbing things, and this is a prophet's job, a hallmark of a prophet of God, that it's going to hurt a lot of people's feelings. The gospel is going to hurt. The gospel is going to be offensive to some. But we must preach the word, preach it in season, and preach it out of season, endure hardness. 
So as we go forth, don't think people are going to love you for talking about holiness. Don't even think your children's going to love you when you try to tell them what is right. But I can't be anyone but who I am. Because on Thanksgiving, while I'm at my daughter's house, no, I'm not sitting there watching football. I know the Bills and somebody else was on or whatever, but I was out there trying to help cut the grass or do something or working outside or whatever. That idleness is not given to me for sitting around for a lot of talking, rushing. Oh, when is going to be ready? When is no? Let me go find something outside to do. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you this day, Lord God.